This special Clever Extra is brought to you by Legrand. When you're looking at big sea changes like taking a commodity switch and turning it into something that people would want to care about, some of those assumptions we had at first were completely wrong. So, you know, I was like, put your money where your mouth is, make a bet, put it on the table and, and see if your assumptions are right after the research because uh, it, it always changes. It all, there's always something to discover. Hi, everyone. I'm Amy. I'm Jamie, and this is Clever. And today we're taking on the subject of lighting. We're talking to Phil Prestigomo, the director of industrial design for Legrand. He spent a lot of time thinking about and diving into the subject of lighting, the way we can use light, how it can improve our lives, and how it can be more easily implemented into our homes and daily routines. It's been a long time since we, as users, have given much thought to the trusty old light switch. But with smart home inventions, Siri, Google, Alexa, and the wild new world of IoT technology, that's IoT, Internet of Things, it can be tricky making the lighting choices that are supposed to make our lives easier. So Phil is going to walk us through all this. Let's get started. My name is Philip Prestigomo, based in West Hartford, Connecticut, and I'm a classically trained industrial designer who is now the director of uh, industrial design and user experience for the North American component of Legrand, North and Central American component of Legrand, headquarters out of West Hartford. And why do I do what I do? I, I really love design. I've always, once I found the field and, and what it entailed, and, and I was just hooked from day one. And it's amazing when you do something you like, how your grades, you get all A's. It's, it's awesome. I was really just luckily, you know, 30 years ago to find out about industrial design. It was a very small field, very not well known back in the day. I mean, this was when design was, I would say, some of our worst products were probably out there in the marketplace 30 years ago. And, you know, in the late 80s, and early 90s. And so now I think design has been really elevated across all of our lives. So, you know, people pay attention now to design where back in, you know, those late 80s and 90s, they didn't. So let me ask you then, how did you find your interest in design and start nurturing that and decide to study design when you were young? How did that happen for you? Believe it or not, I had a great counselor at Ohio State University, and I was kind of struggling to find my way of what I wanted to do. The, the person knew that what I was interested in, architecture, art, photography, those kind of things, and, and he suggested I take an introduction class to industrial design, and you know, then the switch just went off. It was the aha moment. You were like, oh, this is exactly what I wanted to do. I wanted to look at furniture and products, and back in the day, the interfaces that were a little bit more basic, and it was the Wild West back then, that counselor was, was there to kind of guide me and direct me. Yeah, hallelujah for that. I feel like not everybody has had the benefit of a, a counselor who even knew what industrial design was, much less knew that that would be your aptitude and to steer you towards that. Yes, especially 30 years ago. Now kids are bringing it up a little bit earlier. My cousin went into industrial design as, at GM as a, you know, an automotive transportation designer, and I kind of showed him what industrial design was. And so it, that many years ago, it was still still unknown. But now it's, you're starting to hear kids in high school talk about it. And, you know, great companies like Apple, of course, and even General Motors. I mean, all the design, the, the level of design, like I said, has just been raised that people are starting to pay attention. Mm -hmm. But 30 years ago, it was quite a different story. 
And that means you've been in the design business for quite a while. We could call you an expert. I'm curious about you personally. Like, what are you especially curious or passionate about in terms of design, design thinking? Well, for me, it's the why questions. You really – you have to get to the root causes of the questions you're asking. And and a lot of corporations, a lot of design firms, a lot lot of designers only go that first step. I mean, there is a reason to redesign a product because it's just ugly. I mean, that's the foundational core principle of why design exists. Yeah, things are – aesthetically not as good as they could be or not as well crafted as they can be. And that's that's reason enough to redesign a product. On the other hand, you know, why do people make the decisions they make about certain designs or forms or textures or colors? That's even one, you know, that's one more layer deep. That becomes the real interesting part of of like, you know, why do colors compel or distract from designs? What about, you know, enhancing the form or the light and the shadow on a form? Those things are very important. Texture and color has that. Then you go another layer deeper and that becomes why do people make mistakes with products? How do they use them incorrectly? Why did they make the wrong choice on an application versus, you know, versus a physical object or why do they not use the tool properly? So there's, there's all these different layers and it really gets into like really building that empathy for the end user and really unpacking kind of that really deep layer of some of it's conscious and some of it's unconscious, right? There's certain biological things. We just react to certain colors, certain ways, physiologically. Right. We mistake shapes for different other shapes. So there, there's a lot of different layers that it becomes a little bit of cognitive psychology and a little bit of human factors and a little bit of marketing and a little bit of preference and culture. And it's all intertwined in there. It's just fascinating at, at all levels. Yeah, it really is. And we're definitely going to dig a little bit deeper into that very soon. But before we get into it, I want to ask you more about what your role is as Legrand's Director of Industrial Design. What are you doing there? I'll tell you how it started. 11 years ago, I was brought on board to start a North American group. There was one designer at Legrand. Uh, he was at a subsidiary up in Syracuse, Ted Yunko, and he, he was just a great guy. We have crossed paths in the night. I guess you could say we've all worked for the same companies at one point or the other. So we kind of knew each other, but from a distance, and he just became a godsend as far as helping me get this group off the ground. You know, you're looking at a, a very traditional industry that hasn't changed much and hasn't used design strategically. And, and, and if they have used design, it's been for, you know, I would say prettying up things, you know, come on in at the end of a project and put a little magic on it and send it out the door. So they weren't really thinking about design and all it could offer as a strategic advantage. And Ted was one of those key folks that I think that was great that he was able to helped me with a lot of the skill sets I didn't have coming into this 11 years ago. And a lot of that was based on material, finishing color, all those nuances that you get into from brush brass to satin nickel to stainless you know, steel and all, all of these things and then the processes that. So there was a great component there. But, but 11 years ago, we were, we were at zero. There was two of us and then we built the group and at the beginning of this year, we'll be 11. So we've added a lot of folks and gained a lot of credibility internally. On the other side, we, we had to go from just get some basic industrial design I say processes in place. We did, there was no design thinking process at the time. There was no uh, material finishing color specifications across all of the groups, right? It was very disparate groups, little business units doing their own thing. But this vision from the CEO of having this, the reason why these companies are coming together is to provide a better benefit. And then how do we get our hands around that? 
And so, you know, you take all these disparate products that are not necessarily sold together, but yet they're all in the same space. They're all in the same environment. So he had the vision of, of bringing the company, all of these business units together as the company has grown, you know, over the 11 years, it's been amazing how it's grown. But very shortly thereafter, what we did is, is really establish research or discovery or contextual research as a real core competency coming out of industrial design. And we, you know, got in people's context, right? Get into their offices, get on the job site, watch installers put raceway on the wall, watch them install devices, get into homeowners, you know, remodeling experiences in their kitchen and really start to unpack some of those things. So 11 years, we've done 27 plus really good contextual ethnographic, you know, there's a lot of names for it, research programs of all varying shapes and sizes that really kind of help marketing and engineering. And of course, it helps design really get... um, to the core questions uh, and, and those core problems you need to go solve. I think one of the things that's really important in industrial design is it's not just making some sort of product that exists in a vacuum. I think you really made a great point by getting out there and seeing how these things are being installed, how they're being used, how they're being specified. Because I think you could make a lot of big mistakes if you don't understand the life cycle and the function and the daily use of your product in the real world. Without a doubt. I mean, yeah, that is nicely articulate. I mean, that's exactly it. Because I did a, a the story of Adorn. I did a little presentation at a, an innovation conference in San Francisco. And it was um, one of the things I said is like, uh, before you go out and you do uh, research, really – Take your assumptions and write in and put them in an envelope. Maybe that's a little too formal for people. Jot them down. What, what do you think is going to happen? We all think we're very smart, right? We all think we, our, our assumptions are correct. And, and when you become an inside expert user, you have to really guard against that. And, you know, what, the assumptions you go into a research project with and what you come out of usually are completely different. I mean, you educate your gut. Your gut gets more educated. You can kind of see some things that are pretty obvious. But when you're looking at big sea changes like taking a, a commodity switch and turning into something that people would want to care about, some of those assumptions we had at first were completely wrong. So, you know, it's like put your money where your mouth is, make a bet, put it on the table and, and see if your assumptions are right after the research because uh, it, it always changes. It all, there's always something to discover. My role is kind of internally has changed to, to be more of an advocate for design, you know, going out there and really kind of convincing the executive team about how to use design, where to use it, where it's going to pay dividends, and how it's going to move the needle from a sales perspective, right, and generate revenue. On the other side, it's, you know, you're coaching and mentoring and trying to be helpful to your designers. You don't want to – there's a fine line between lording over them and playing Caesar versus really trying to coach them to own decisions and own uh, their products because that's, I think, you know, you can never forget as a as a young designer how you wanted to be treated. It's, it's turning empathy back on the group, I guess. You know, you have to give younger designers and people that you're trying to get to the next level that ownership and you find that they make much better decisions when they know they own the decision. They, they go and track down the information they need. And, and, it, and that's mm-hmm. kind of rewarding too as kind of in this part of my career, you can kind of, I guess, pass along some of that knowledge. I'm sure they're sick of hearing all my stories and that I've probably repeated <laughs> several times. But hey, that comes with the, that comes with the territory. <laughs> <laughs> so I want to talk a little bit about product design, research, creative process, some of the things you mentioned that are part of your role. Could you talk a little bit about the current project, which is the Adorn Collection, and kind of give us an overview of what is it, how is it supposed to function, 
And what are the problems that it's trying to solve? You know, the Adorn collection is a collection of switches, dimmers, timers that someone could go into their home and replace all of their switches, dimmers and timers with this new collection. And it goes all the way from IoT devices and RFLC devices, all the way through sensors, timers, wave switches, lighting options as far as night lights, and all different USB charging, pop-out receptacles. So someone can come into their home and really update all of those things that live in their walls that they don't give a second thought to. It was a category that had been ignored, and we commoditized the market in the sense that everybody was just chasing price. I had an engineer say to me one time, he showed me a, a receptacle that we do, and it's, it's a 75-cent dollar receptacle at retail, and he said, you can't buy the four screws in here cheaper than you can buy this receptacle. <laughs> so we had really kind of driven all the costs out of it, optimized production, done all those things, and, and everybody had the same product because in this country, everything is standardized. You could take any manufacturer's plug or switch and put it in the same box and put the same wall plate on it or somebody from a different manufacturer's wall plate on it. And you can really, you don't even think about it. The brand becomes the next layer. If it's at Lowe's or if it's at electrical distributor, it must be trustworthy. It's past you well. Great. We're good to go. So how do you, how do you get take a step back and, and make people care about it? One is how do you make the channel, the electrical distributor, electrical contractor care about it? And then how do you get the homeowner to care about it where it's been a non-decision? And we really looked at companies like Kohler that had really done that with the the faucet industry. And, you know, then, then you see all the competition fall on. It becomes a decision point. Just doesn't become a standard fixture. It becomes a, a real focal point of that kitchen or that bath. And so we really wanted to see, like, how could we make people care? And at, where do you draw the line? So that was the, the big thing that, that we really had to overcome. So we first started off by looking at where we fit in the process. Um, and the real answer was we didn't fit in the process. People didn't have us in their plan. They didn't have us in their scrapbook. We went out and did ethnographic kitchen remodel, or I would say post-mortems with homeowners, like people that had done a kitchen remodel within the last six months. Middle income, you know, the demographics were single family homes, not too expensive, but you know, right in the sweet spot in the middle where we wanted to be. And folks showed us their scrapbooks. I like this marble. I like these cabinets. I like the look of this kitchen. It was all their inspirational ideas, but faucets were in there. Lighting was in there, but no switches because electrical was just something that just happened when the electrician came in one day on the job and popped in a bunch of receptacles. Yeah, it was a given. It was like, do you want almond or white? <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, and a lot of times they'd put in the same old nasty switches that they had in there before. And so, you know, as we started to develop concepts, we were like, okay, well, people care if we did this. People cared if we did this. And we overshot that market. I mean, we, I think we overdesigned some things at first, and that's why you do research. You're like, oh, this is going to be great. And you kind of get inside your own head, and you're designing things that are a little too elaborate because you could still, there's so much more to do in this category. But so we kind of took the foot off the accelerator a little bit and made things a little more clean and simple and elegant, a little more timeless. You know, we were going pretty trendy at the time with materials and finishes, and we kind of took a step back and kind of refined our, our strategy from that core device, the dimmer, the switch, timer, the sensor, those kind of things would be very clean and very simple and kind of timeless in design. And that the plate uh, would do the heavy lifting. And you'd be able to pair the plate with these two device colors, you know, a white and magnesium, 
and be successful every time. If you wanted high contrast, a little more punchy, and that was what you wanted to do, we, we let the plate do the lifting. And then this way you could swap these things in and out. So we really you know, came out when we first launched. I think we had close to 40 finishes. I think we're close to 50 now. So we really let the plate kind of do that talking for us and then kept that nucleus, if you will, of those, those devices very clean and simple and geometric and recognizable from a distance. So, and people... As we went through it and we refined it, people, when you sit through focus groups, folks look at the models, they look at what they have in their house, they consider it, and it's overwhelmingly no matter where your style sits, you know, what your personal preference sits. Because we recruited folks that were hardcore modernists. We did a visual screener where we had them pick their aspirational kitchen or aspirational bathroom. And so we were able to very pin them down pretty tightly with their style and what they like. So we didn't have a lot of crosstalk between a traditionalist and a focus group and, and a modernist. But then we recruited traditionalists also. So we wanted to hear both sides of the coin. Of course, the modernists were like, oh, my God, where has this been all my life? Why has anybody <laughs> thought of this? And, and it was like, wow, it was really great validation. On the other hand, you know, the traditionalists were – they were harsh a couple times, but at the end of the, you know, you're, you have them in a focus group for, um, you know, uh, two hours. At the end of that, the light bulb would, would go off and, and they would be like, I can't put these old switches in my home. It looks like I don't care. Someone looks at my house, they're going to say, oh, he probably hasn't updated the furnace, probably doesn't have the latest plumbing. He's probably cutting corners someplace else. This is a reflection of who I am. So they may have been at the backside of the adoption curves, the curve, the late majority. But with the price point we were talking, it wasn't – it really was not a price decision. You know, you're talking mm. – you know, in a remodel, hundreds of dollars more. You're not talking thousands and thousands of dollars more. You're just talking a little bit of shift in, in money. And you really validated that we did – if people were going to emotionally invest in this category, was there a payoff? And, uh, you know, the more we show adorn to people that haven't seen it, it's just – you know, it's obvious to them. They're like, oh, why, where has this been uh, and why haven't I seen it? When you're talking about the Adorn collection and solving all of these problems, you did a whole slew of research, contextual ethnography, if you will, mm -hmm. um, yeah, to yeah. figure <laughs> out where lighting is headed, what user behavior is like, and what people are hoping for in terms of lighting solutions. What were the core questions you were asking and what did your research reveal? I thought it was really interesting when you said earlier you have to like sort of check your assumptions at the door. So what did your research reveal and how did that make its way into the design of the Adorn collection? There's a couple questions in there embedded. I'll talk about like kind of where I think it's going and what we're seeing commercial and residential come together. We use light in a different way. One of the bigger things we uncovered during research is when people get up in the middle of the night and they walk into their bathroom, they want to be able to find the switch. And in a dark room, traditionally switches aren't lit. So what we, we did is uncovered that people wanted a locator light. They wanted to be able to locate that switch in a dimly lit situation. On the flip side, they didn't want to have it all the time on in their bedroom either. So there was a balance in there. So we gave them an option of either adding what we call a locator light and an indicator light into switches and the dimmers so they could find them easily and they could pick and choose where they wanted those lights to show up. We also made a series of night lights that were, I would say, much more controllable at different levels, right? Because up to that point, you know, it's either this bright night light that lights up the whole room at night or 
or nothing. So we gave them, uh, you know, four or five settings that they can turn it off, and they can go to four different settings, and we integrated those into other uh, devices, and, and we actually actually integrated that into the wall plate. So you can kind of get this wall wash of light underneath the wall plate. It really adds a nice effect. So if you want that in a hallway, or if you want that in your living room, you want it to come on at, at, at when the light is low or stay on all the time. You can set it up anywhere you want, and then little things like a little removable flashlight, a nice light then pops out of the wall and you can use it as a as a night light. So we use light as a signature element within the line and we're continuing to build on that. Now light controlling light is you know the foundational reason why you have a switch is to control light. Mm-hmm. So we came up with different options of how to I would say pack more density into certain areas so you what can do you put mean three by switches that? So traditionally, you have in North America what we call a single gang box, so a single switch, and it's in a little, you know, rectangle, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, with the wall plate. uh, So you're able to get three switches in that now. Uh, You're able to get, uh, with the pop-out receptacle, you're able to get three receptacles in that same space rather than just two. So we're able to kind of get a little bit more density. We're able to think it through a little bit more often. So in tight situations, you you could really get a nice look at an entryway where you need three switches and a very small casing or a small space between a, a window and a door. We also have the True Universal Dimmer, which works with any lighting load. So you're going to be more successful at the install level that you're going to be able to install this and it's going to be able to control your LEDs uh, or whatever whatever load you're controlling, as they say. Okay. Uh, so, so that was at one end. But in the future, I think what people are uh, going to start to – to struggle with and what we're going to have to provide more solutions for where it's going is definitely color control. People want to start to control the color of their light, whether it's to set, um, you know, a, a seasonal setting, you know, you want uh, red lights for Christmas or orange for Halloween, or those kind of things, but also for health. The idea of being able to set up healthier light, uh, being able to tune that through the day to either energize you or relax you in the evening. Uh, you, you saw it very recently with the iOS system and the Android systems. They have this nighttime mode where the screen goes a little less blue. Blue light becomes a concern. Uh, so those kind of controls are going to become even more, I would say, prevalent as we go forward in evolving the line. Yeah. Well, what about automation and people controlling their lights and security lights from apps and setting timers in a IoT kind of way? What we're finding is it goes from very simple and very analog. We, we one of our uh, a great product that we have is just a, it's a, a fan timer, and it's for a bathroom. So when you leave the shower, you can hit ten minutes, and it leaves the fan on for ten minutes after you've taken a shower. You don't have to remember that it's on. So that's very analog. Now we also are moving into our RFLC, which is our current offering, where you can set up some of these these schedules and timers. So if you wanted to uh, make sure if, if if you came within a certain half mile of your house and you wanted certain lights in the house to come on for either safety reasons or convenience reasons, you would set that up and you would be able to have that functionality. So, and then now moving to IoT, where it becomes even more integrated with other systems in your house. Can you define RFLC before we get into IoT? <laughs> We're only talking in alphabet. <laughs> right, right. RFLC, that's true, uh, is radio frequency lighting control. So it, it, it's kind of the precursor to IoT, uh, but it basically gives you all of those, uh, it, it gives you all of the functionality that IoT gives you. But IoT, I mean, the benefit of IoT is you're able to do more with it. So it is kind of the precursor to that. So, you know, when we see IoT going in you know, more into the cloud, more into very, uh, I would say, 
really being able to get these small feature benefits to particular users. You know, you're a single woman, you don't want to come home to a dark house. So you're able to do that with our lighting system currently and, you know, and will be in the future. It's like, hey, I can have these three lights come on uh, right before I uh, pull in my development and there there I go. Same if you want the, the kids to have the same control. So there's, there's these small benefits. You know, I want uh, uh, the lights to come on in the yard and turn on an interior light at the same time. So all of these different things you can mix and match. And I think the the market is becoming more and more aware and the expectations are being raised that this this level of function is going to be expected. Hey, if I'm going to replace a switch, why isn't it a smart switch? So, you know, why isn't it a smart light that I can control from my phone and set up some recipes, either in Alexa or Google Home or those kind of things? This is interesting to me. And along the lines of if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Why is lighting something that merits a deeper look? I mean, obviously, safety and security is something that I think can be enhanced with some of these lighting innovations. But also, there is a, a trust and a rhythm and a reliability to just reaching out and flicking a switch that we have grown to rely, I guess, is the best word on that. And what if your lights don't go on and you have to reset your router or in the dark? Like, how do we avoid <laughs> getting so complicated with our lighting that we can't just flick a switch? Yeah, you hit it right on the head. And I think that's a key tenet of ours is that we we always make sure that that core foundational functionality of these switches are to turn off uh, off and on a main light in that particular room. I mean, you can't have it like, oh, my internet's down and I can't use my switches. That's unacceptable. And so uh, what we make sure is that, you know, when you walk into a room, you can set things up differently. You can have a wave switch. You can have a sensor that automatically brings it on. Or you reach over and you flip a switch. It's not that difficult. I, I think that core, that foundational functionality, we've never lo- lost sight of. So that's a great, great question because, you know, when we first started the Adorn line, uh, you know, it was all about different ways of turning on and off a switch from a sensor automatic to a wave switch where you don't touch anything. You just wave your hand in front of the switch. Uh, people are used to that for faucets and things of that nature. And then you, you move into like different types of ergonomies that where you're, you know, you have a traditional paddle switch that can still hit with your elbow. You have a whisper switch that has a, uh, I would say, a more subtle sound. It has a little bit more refined uh, sound like a piano key. And then you have things like a tap switch, which is more like a piece of electronic equipment or even a our touch switch, which is uh, much like a, a capacitive interface like your iPhone. So if we could just take that everyday experience and elevate it to something that's a little bit more nuanced, that's a little more reflective of our brand, a little reflective of the homeowner's choice that, hey, every every morning they get up and they touch that switch, they're reminded that I, they made a good choice and it adds a little bit more to their home or, the, or their the experience they're looking to create. And, and you know, for a designer or for, for that matter, for like for, for a Marriott and those kind of folks, uh, we do the same thing. But I think that's the key. You know, if I told any brand manager, um, or any product manager that I will guarantee you a touch in the evening and a touch at night and every day of every year for their entire life, they will touch your product. And if you can't create an experience around that, then that's that shame on us. We should be able to do that. And so hopefully, you know, with, with the Adorn, I think we've really been able to elevate that experience that, hey, it's just if it's an interaction, you might as well have fun with it. And, and, and make it a little bit more personable and make it a little bit more, uh, I would say, you know, reflective of your brand and, and, and fun. 
Yeah, and who doesn't like to be reminded of their good choices? (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) I guess when you're designing a product and you're kind of changing the game in a sense and trying to make things easier for people, that's fantastic. But with technology and, and with all of the possible options, sometimes people just get really overwhelmed. And then sometimes they get so overwhelmed by all the options that they just don't make that switch, so to speak. So how do you empower the user to be more involved in the integration of these lighting solutions? That's the real question going forward. I think it's a, I forget where the quote comes from. I stole it from somebody, but it's, you know, the future's here. It's just unevenly distributed. The solutions are out there. You want the product offering to be deep enough that people can emotionally invest and there's a payoff somewhere in there. And even for your most discerning design-oriented folks that they can really find just what's right because they have real clear vision in their heads of what they want for their home or what they want for a particular project. And then there's there's the mainstream folks that like, hey, if it's too much, it's too much. And I think that's what we did kind of in a roundabout way answering your question. But that's why we really made the way these switches click into the subplate and align perfectly and the plate aligns perfectly. And when it goes onto the wall, it's very, there's this visceral reaction of when you pick up the components that make up a door and you really feel the heft. We use real metals, real leathers, real woods, uh, that when you touch it, there's this connection that you're like, oh, I, I really feel the quality. I'd never expected this wall plate to be this heavy. And then the, the subframe that you mount to the wall that you then screw into a box, that has some heft and some feel. And when you click it in, there's this great sounding feel and everything aligns perfectly. So from a user standpoint, trying to make that install as successful as we can was really paramount because the alignment and when you're really owning the square, as we say, where we have these square um, devices that are all butting up against each other, that those gaps and all those tolerances need to be spot on. Because if they're not, any misalignment when you're using that kind of geometry can be read from across the room making that a successful experience at that one level. Now, the choices can be overwhelming, and and we provide tools online that somebody can go and take a picture of their room, and they can pick different colors. They can try out some things. They can mock up like what their wall color is and try different devices and and see what they need for a particular project. On the other hand, you know, if you go to the Legrand website, you can see a lot of inspirational photos on the Adorn site, and you can also see them on Pinterest and on Twitter. And what happens is people get the idea of they can kind of start to envision where they want to go with it because that's the new, like we're getting back to the original contextual research, it, that's the new scrapbook now. You know, a long time, eight years ago when we first started on this journey, uh, the, some of these tools didn't exist, so now it's evolved. So now we provide those. We get consumers to show their projects. We have um, uh, folks, you know, that are doing uh, video podcasts and things like that, you know, on YouTube and they're using our product, uh, Vanilla Ice, all that kind of good stuff. So we're, we're, we're trying our best to, to get the message out there. So that leads me to my next question. I'm going to give you a scenario. Let's just say I'm a pretty handy person. I know my way around uh, design and construction and home improvement. And I'm doing a light renovation on my house. This is a mm-hmm. hypothetical. Uh, the handy part's true, though. And let, it's cosmetic, right? I'm going to put in some new flooring, some new fixtures, change the paint, wallpaper, color palettes. 
How easy is it on a scale of DIY to professional to implement a collection like this? Do I need to rewire anything or gut any of the existing electrical lines? Or if I'm handy enough and I know to shut off the main power, can I rewire up my house with a system like this myself? Oh, absolutely. It, it is a one-to-one replacement. And where you have a switch, you can put one of our new Adorn switches in. Where it's a dimmer, uh, you can put in a, one of our dimmers. If it's a group, a group of two or three by, like, let's say, a foyer, it's a one-to-one replacement. Uh, you can obviously upgrade a switch to a dimmer and all those other things, but it wires exactly the same. As a matter of fact, it's even easier because you don't have to bend the, some of these very hefty wires around terminals. You can just uh, uh, strip them and plug them right in and, and then tighten down a screw. So it's actually a little bit easier. Uh, ah. than, the, than the normal thing. So, and it fits in the same depth boxes now. You know, I mean, so it, it is exactly the way it is today because really the, the technology behind it, uh, it's been advancing. But but the sizes are we're limited by that North America box. So there's no no boxes you have to put into your walls. There's no extra wiring or additional wiring that you have to do. So I can keep all the same J boxes in place and just pull out the receptacles and the switches and replace them and the wall plates and have a completely different look and functionality with my lighting. Exactly. Yep. Yep. It's a one-to-one replacement. So you don't even have to think about it. Yeah. So it's, it's very easy. You were were doing your research. You were thinking about things. (laughs) You know, when we talk about, you know, where, where we've kind of, I would say shaken up the game a little bit is that it's a proprietary plate and device play. So you have to stay within Legrand. You can't like, there's no, none of our competitors because we patented everything and, and trademarked and design patented everything we could, uh, that, that nobody else can make a switch that could, could like, oh, you could buy their dimmer or our dimmer. It's like, no, you have to buy our dimmer. So you're, but, but you're, you're talking, we're a hundred year old company plus, and, and, you know, so we've been doing this for a long time. So we're not some fly by night kind of, um, you know, Silicon Valley startup that just happens to make smart switches now. Uh, you know, that's why we, we fill out the whole portfolio on how to do a house. So if you need a GFCI, a ground fault protection, you know, for bathrooms and wet areas. We have that. We're, we invented that. So, you know, that's where our legacy comes from. So we've been making these kind of robust solutions that have been in people's homes for hundreds, for 50, 100 years and still working today. And we're, and we're going to continue that. So I think that's the key message that I think once people see it, it's like, oh, this is not, this is an electrical company that's been the foundation of my home for 100 years. It's not some, you know, yeah. well, venture capital nice switch know. company. Because the last thing I think we all want to do is replace everything in our house only to have those products be discontinued five years from now when the company goes out of business. And Mm -hmm. then we have no choice but to replace it all again. Exactly. And the challenges will be there, you know, but we'll be able to like with our IoT stuff, we'll be doing over the air updates. So you'll be downloading the latest firmware to your switch through Legrand and and, and those kind of things. So you got a company, a brand that you can really get behind and trust in, in the long run. You mentioned communication and with all of these options and with this easy to implement collection, how are you able to communicate all of that um, to a user? What we found out when we did the research is you know, we, we internally had an assumption that, oh, once people buy a new home, they're spent out. They put all their money on their house. And, and what we found is that assumption is not true, that people move into a new home with plans to redo bathrooms and kitchens and things they don't like and paint and carpet. So, so they're not spent out as they come in. And so that's a perfect time if you can link up with uh, change of addresses and those kind of things. Now, you know, we have to, to be careful <laughs> that you're not stalking people. But on the other <laughs> hand, you know, 
it's amazing how you move into a home and you get a 10% off low, uh, Home Depot coupon. And it's like, how the heck did they know I moved? You know, mm-hmm. what, somebody smart, you know. So, so the point is you, you got to figure out where you get into their plan. And that's, I think, one of the key things. If you're not in the plan, you won't be in the project. And so that's where you need to have a little – you need to have your – you know, home and uh, better homes and gardens clip out and shoved in somebody's folder that are like, oh, yes, and I want these switches. Now I can go start to look at these because I'm at this time in the project. Mm-hmm. So it's how do you see that that awareness going forward? And it may be, you know, people may understand it, love it, and maybe not do anything with it for a couple of years. But in the back of their minds, they know, ah, when the time comes and I redo that bathroom, I'm putting those switches and that faucet in there. And I love this countertop I saw over here. And, you know, they, they got a plan. Well, it sounds like you've put a lot of thought into sort of seeding the internet with inspiration, too, in terms of Pinterest boards and bloggers demonstrating how the product can be used so that whenever a user is maybe looking for inspiration, they might find it and be able to clip it and keep it for future reference. But you brought up a really good point, which is about being careful not to stalk. How do I know you're not listening to me through my light switches? <laughs> well, we're not there yet, so we don't have a voice recognition. We, we uh, You know, you have to give those folks those options. And I think that's what's great about this range is that we have it. It's like, hey, you don't want smart switches? You don't have to have smart. You could still have the same level of experience on that day-to-day dimming and, and, and working just within your home and setting up scenes, even if you wanted to go with the radio frequency lighting control option and just have that be local. You can also attach that to the cloud and have that little, be a little bit more, uh, I would say, you know, more actualized. And, and then if you wanted to add voice and those kind of things. So you can, you can go from, man, I just want very good-looking switches for a small space or just because I'm not that person and I don't want to be that person. And then you can take it all the way up to where you want it to stop. And, and you know, and that's, that's a, I think that's what consumers are with this day? How much of your privacy or self are you going to give away in order to get some convenience? And if it is, it better be compelling. You know, so, so I think there's going to be, it's going to be interesting to see where it goes in the next 10 years. Hmm. Well, and I'll say personally, I don't want to control everything on my phone. I really want to reach out and feel something with my hands that doesn't feel like a glass screen. I want to maintain that sort of logical, haptic connection with the real world. And so I'm not sure where I am on that spectrum. I like the convenience of being able to turn on my lights from my phone, but I still want a manual override at all times. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, I'm with you. And I think that's the safety and security because we we take for granted that interaction. And it's a great interaction and it's a bulletproof interaction. And it's yeah. such a an interaction we've taken for granted. And now if you could just make it beautiful, oh, wow. Well, then your game's ahead to where – I mean, you're, you're – Yeah, and if it reminds of me of my were. good choices every day, <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm going to be on exactly. the road to self-actualization. <laughs> that's right. That's right. A little affirmation for you in the morning when yeah. you flip on the bathroom lights. And, and, it, and it's, so it's these small little steps. I always find the best advertising to be it's, – it's not so much about – the SUV that you buy. It's the fact that I can walk up to the back of it with a handful of groceries and wave my foot underneath the the rear gate and it opens up automatically. That's what people are like, I want that in my car. Got to have that in the next car. Got to have it. So that's the kind of things that I think when people see the collection, they are like, oh, man, you know, I could put a wave switch on my light above my sink and some of my hands are full of chicken. And after I've just got done (laughs) chopping up chicken, I can wave my elbow or my hand in front of a switch without having to touch it to turn that light on. I get it. That's a benefit. 
You know, it comes on automatically as I start to head towards the basement door. Those things are bulletproof interactions that just take it that one step up. The pop-out receptacle is one of those things where people doesn't, don't really like to see the holes in the wall. And, and so, you know, when you pop out this little square, it's a little delight. And it's like, oh, and I have three receptacles and I can push it back in. And there it is. So those little, those little subtleties are not smart interactions. I mean, they're, they're meaningful interactions, but they're definitely not smart. They're just well thought out. Hmm. I want to bring it back to you for a second, Phil. You've put a lot of thought and energy into doing the research and developing this collection. I want to know where, how you measure your success and if you feel fulfilled. You know, the kid who went to Ohio State and found his interest in industrial design. Are you doing what you set out to do? And that's part A of the question. Part B is what kind of light switches do you have in your house? <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll answer the last question. The whole house is adorned. Okay. Uh, I, am, I am waiting to do the basement for our new radiant line so I can test out some things. But I, I constantly have a turnover of, of installing and reinstalling things in the house to kind of try different looks. But I definitely have a Dorn with some really nice Hubbardton forge plates and uh, some really – it's, it's, you know, it's great uh, when people walk into the environment. And see it, but on the on the on the flip side, I'm I'm really happy with where I'm at. I think there's there's a couple things I always think about. I mean, you have to you have to be on top of your game, and you have to be extra good uh, in order to get these just good design out the door, and and that becomes really rewarding when you know that you're kind of fighting the good fight internally and that people are seeing it and, 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 and you're getting rewarded for it and, and, and your team's getting rewarded for it and people are wanting more of it and giving you more resources and growing department. So that, that's, that's a huge reward for me at this point in my career. And then on the other hand, I think it's, um, you know, as growing up as a kid, I was a big um, comic book freak and I still have all my old comic books so I was smart enough to keep them it might be part of my retirement so things are going well and especially <laughs> with the explosion of the Marvel universe now I've been my my whole childhood is like when I was you know told I was a stupid kid for reading comic books all of these great stories have now come and made it to the screen and my friend and I were lamenting about this about yeah see I told you we were smart and then the two <laughs> worlds coming together uh, the two worlds coming together were you know and Jessica Jones uh, a Marvel character on Netflix, her sister's apartment has a door in it. So I said, finally, my whole life has been validated that I my product showed up in a, uh, a Jessica Jones Marvel uh, universe. Uh, there scene. you uh, have it. <laughs> the Adorn Collection is the the official lighting collection of superheroes. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> well, at least they're sisters. But yeah, it's so close. But I tell you, it's no, it's it's a fun. It, it is a really rewarding job. It's a difficult job for most designers at corporations that aren't, let's say, aren't Apple. I mean, I've worked for HP. I've worked for General Motors. I've worked for Thompson Consumer Electronics and consultancies. And they, um, you know, it, it's tough to, you know, even at HP, it's tough to get great design out the door. It's tough at General Motors to get great design out the door. Those guys struggle. Now, some of them are a little bit more, you know, it's better in some places than others, but but sometimes management doesn't get it. And I'm just happy that I'm at a place where, you know, uh, the executive team, the CEO, uh, my CMO have really embraced industrial design uh, and really want it to be a differentiating factor from a brand perspective and that experience factor, you know, and really just making that customer experience top notch. And design is a very, very important part of that. Fantastic. Well, thank you. 
So where can our listeners find out more uh, on the web and social media? I would say the first place to start is legrand.us, and you can find a lot of inspirational photographs and, and ideas there, especially you know, looking at the Adorn Collection and all of our other products that may fit your home or lifestyle. And also, um, you know, Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest and Twitter were, were there. Uh, Pinterest is great because there, there's a lot of uh, organic user postings that really show their projects. And, you know, uh, I would say it's, it's, it's very nice uh, for people to see other people using it and getting that inspiration. Thank you so much, Phil. This has been really informative. Remember to fight for good, not evil, and don't ever listen to us or spy on us through our light switches and receptacles. (laughs) Without a doubt. Okay. (laughs) Thanks, Phil. Thank you very much. It was a pleasure. That was really interesting, and I really had to bite my tongue the whole time and not use lighting puns for everything, because I really wanted to say, like, the light bulb went off, or, you know, you flipped a switch in your life, or something like that. You didn't, you weren't even that good at it, because you did say, when people want to make the switch, and I was I like, know, oh, and I Jamie. thought about it. I know, and I was like, should I say something funny? Like, I don't know. Pun intended. Um, I know, it's hard with light switches, you know. And I also wanted to say about how, you know, he'd become enlightened and how illuminating (laughs) this talk was. Oh, my gosh. There's so many. So many. So many. So many I could be a dad. I think it's great that he knew right away that he wanted to pursue something creative and ended up having someone tell him, hey, take an industrial design course because that's super awesome and we need a lot more of those people in life kind of steering people toward design. Yeah, and that's that's when the light switch went on for him, right? Yeah. Yeah. And he actually said that and I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> but I think it's great too that like when he started out, he talked a little bit about how design was just like someone coming in and sprinkling prettiness on things at the end. Yeah, and I th- it came to mind like it's like the frosting on a cake and it's like, yeah, yeah but, but how does the cake taste? And right. is the cake nutritious? Exactly. Where did you get cake from? Are you hungry? Maybe. (laughs) Yeah. So he talked about like the finishes and colors, but also the research and the function and like going in and seeing how these things are being used. And I love that he spent a lot of time kind of shaping this whole division to think about those things. Yeah, he's a pioneer in that way, really, because I mean, honestly, people haven't really tried to reinvent the light switch. People have been taking it for granted for so long, but that's what I really appreciate about what they're doing, too, is they're not trying to change the way we turn on the lights, except they are, but without removing the old way that we used to turn on the lights, which is the way that we're all used to. Yeah, It's (laughs) smart because it's like disruption, but retrofitting. So like they're basically enabling a product to be replaced or replace an old product, but this new product has so much more to offer. And it doesn't take a lot to replace. It's not a lot of energy or effort. It's not super confusing. Um, You don't have to put new holes in your walls or rewire anything crazy. No, I mean, I love love so much that it's all built on the standardized system. So you don't even have to pull out your old J-boxes, you know? Like, it sounds like it's very easily implemented, whether you're doing new construction, a renovation, or even if you just want to change your lights. Like, sounds pretty easy to me. Yeah, one of the things I thought was really interesting that he mentioned a couple of times with this idea of decision or non-decision, 
And I started thinking a lot about that because light switches, for the most part, have been a non-decision. You're just like, okay, it's a light switch. I'm getting light switches. Like, and they pretty much all kind of look the same. But he's kind of pushing toward these things becoming a decision. And right now it's a decision between the old light switch and this new Adorn collection or the new collections that they're releasing, right? So you're making conscious decision to go with the Legrand versus the old school style light switch. You're also making conscious decisions to choose like a wave switch or a capacitive switch or a toggle or any of those choices too are now within your power to decide. Before, people didn't really have a choice. They chose their fixture. They knew what kind of light they wanted in their dining room but their choice kind of stopped there and it didn't extend to like what kind of dimmer they wanted how they wanted it to behave how they wanted to be able to interact with it and whether they wanted to be able to turn it on from some other sort Mm -hmm. of control deck like their phone i really like the image of him waving a chicken wing in front of the light switch (laughs) to turn it on That's what I'm I like do. that there are options <laughs> for everybody. So it is like a great example of universal design, which I really appreciate. Okay, one more thing. Okay. I love that he said, write down your assumptions before you go into research and then get the research and collect the data and then go back and look at your assumptions again and see like how well you predicted how it actually functions in the real world. Yeah, I mean, I think he was also saying, like, write them down to get them out of your brain and out of the way. Because most likely, if you go into that research, assuming you already know the answer, it's going to corrupt your research. Right. And then it's really important when doing industrial design, like that you go out and make sure that there's number one, a need for something like this, because even if you think it's a need, it may not actually be a need. And then like how people would actually utilize this particular product because the way you might think they are utilizing it might be totally different than how they actually will use it. And then I I also appreciated that they sort of overcomplicated things at first, but then dialed it back. Oh, right. There's nothing I think I would hate more than an overcomplicated light switch. (laughs) Like, I just needed to do what I needed to do. And I don't want to have to troubleshoot it. Mm-hmm. But just because you can add bells and whistles doesn't necessarily mean that that makes it better. It just makes it more confusing. Yeah. So it sounds like he was really thoughtful and his team was really thoughtful about that, too. Like, how can we pare this down to just the most necessary elements and limit those choices for people so that it's not overwhelming and at the same time provide them with essentially what they want or will want. Hey, thanks for listening, everyone. Please go to cleverpodcast.com to see images of Legrand's Adorn collection, or you can click the link in the details of this episode on your podcast app. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're feeling generous, please rate and review us. It helps new listeners find us and it helps us keep making this show. We also love chatting with you on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. You can find us at Clever Podcast. Clever is created, produced, and hosted by us, Amy Devers and Jamie Derringer, aka 2VDE Media, with editing by Jenny Josephson and music by L1011. Clever is proudly distributed by Design Milk.